Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the State Medical Licensing Board is examining penalties for physicians who have sexual relations with patients. Then the Joint Legislative Budget Committee releases its recommended budget for next year. Later, calling for the repeal of the state's religious freedom law. And what makes Mississippi's Golden Triangle a hotbed for new industry and job creation? If God could give it to your man can build it, you're in most better shape than any other place. You got a, you got a waterway, you got access to six railroads. You've got massive TVA grid. The Golden Triangle arguably is the most redundant, reliable TVA service territory, at least in the valley of Mississippi. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A committee of Mississippi doctors is reviewing regulations regarding physicians accused of sexually assaulting patients. A report by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution prompted the Mississippi State Board of Medical Licensure to take up the issue. Mississippi was rated near the bottom for protecting patients from sexual abuse. Dr. John Hall is executive director of the agency. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier current regulations don't specifically address the behavior, which falls under unprofessional conduct. It's been explained uh, by many physicians other than me. And in general, there are no times when it's acceptable for a physician to have a sexual relationship with a patient. And so what can the board do in those instances when a complaint is registered? What is the procedure? We would receive a complaint, and it would vary where it came from. Sometimes it would be a partner in a practice. Sometimes it would be a spouse. We would investigate that. And occasionally it comes to us through law enforcement. The board's authority is limited to disciplining that physician. Our regulations currently don't specify that a physician may not have sex with a patient. So it falls under the general category of unprofessional conduct. So we would look to outside sources, such as a conviction for a sex-related offense through a court of competent jurisdiction, or we would look to other definitions for such things, such as the AMA guidance, uh, which also specifies that you should not have a sexual relationship with a patient. When it does occur, then what is the board's ability to deal with that issue? Uh, the board would typically charge that physician, have a hearing, and then if found to have had such a relationship in an unprofessional fashion, the board has a fairly narrow range of sanctions, indefinite suspension, or revocation of the license. I heard it said in the meeting that the board has limited ability with what they can do in scope to someone who is facing this type of charge. That would be an indefinite suspension or a revocation of the license. The board doesn't have the ability to prosecute anyone criminally. We don't have the ability to put handcuffs on somebody. We don't have the ability to incarcerate anyone. How do you want to move this issue forward? The board typically has managed these issues already. It has become a hot button because of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's article. 
And although we could debate the merits of that article and the research that went into it, the reality is it is a problem in every single jurisdiction in the United States. Everyone is trying to determine how to deal with these. The only thing a medical board can do, though, is take a license. That is the ultimate, that is the ultimate outcome for a medical board to do. And so the Atlantic Constitution did a study and found that Mississippi ranked at the bottom when it comes to the board taking disciplinary action against doctors in these instances. You are talking about going to the legislature to make it more difficult for someone uh, to be penalized? Well, the, the AJC study and subsequent articles actually addressed a whole bunch of things. They were related to transparency. They were related to statutory provisions that allow these things to happen or that allow a medical board to manage these things. We're, we're an executive agency, so all of our authority comes out of statute in some way. So the legislature would build a statute. It would be approved by the governor, and then we would build the regulations to execute on that statute. Our current statutes and our current regulations don't address these specific occurrences. There are a handful of things that could be done. We could actually have all these things codified into a statute and incorporated into the criminal code. We could have additional authority for permanent revocation. Our revocation is permanent. That's a little bit confusing, though, because a licensee, or in this case a, a revoked licensee, can come back and petition for reinstatement every year. And if that licensee has the financial means, that licensee could proceed through an appeal through the court system. What would you like to see done? I'd like to see every state medical board take a hard line on this and really be aggressive about it. The ideal place is probably a state medical board, but it needs to have there are some things that you should simply never have your license back. We have uh, occasionally sex for drugs, which is a fairly, not an uncommon occurrence. It's not really common, but it's not uncommon. Most troubling is the predatory physician. And we don't really know how these things, how, what, the, what the magnitude of this is. I suspect that once we get one person that comes forward, we would get more. It's the kind of typical occurrence like this. But it, we, we don't really know what the incidence is. We have a few complaints right now that are patients who are having sex with their physicians, and it wreaks havoc on one. One one complainant actually raised the question, "What do I tell my kids about trusting the doctor now?" It's a it's a husband who's now there. He's going through a divorce because of this. And I'm not so much even concerned about the family part as it's the decrement that it takes in that doctor-patient relationship. There is no more intimate relationship. I mean, no other professional has ever asked me to sit on a cold table in a paper gown and tell me, tell him or her my most intimate secrets. That is a relationship that is truly different. So every analogy to every other profession fails with the possible exception of PAs and nurse practitioners. There is no other more intimate relationship. Our, our clergy you never get us out of our clothes. Our insurance come our insurance agents never get us out of our clothes. We don't tell anybody the things that we tell doctors. MPB's Desiree Frazier with John Hall of the State Board of Medical Licensure on changing the rules regarding doctors who have sexual relations with patients. In other news, Mississippi's legislative leaders are proposing a budget that could force state agencies to operate on quote the leanest levels possible. Unquote. MPB's Paul Boger reports. The $6.2 billion general fund recommendation for fiscal year 2018 is about $195 million, or roughly 3% lower than what lawmakers approved for this year's budget. The Joint Legislative Budget Committee, made up of members from both the House and Senate, officially adopted the recommendation during a meeting yesterday. Republican Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn. We think it's a responsible budget. 
The economy is difficult all across the country. We're, we're no different than anyone else. I think the difference is we're making a strong effort to be responsible with the money that we've got and just stay within our means. And that's just kind of the general overview of where the budget is. Lawmakers are also considering a plan that would remove most state agencies from the purview of the state personnel board, essentially ending civil service protection for those government employees. Republican Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves says agency leaders were open to the idea when discussing their budget during working group meetings earlier this year. There are a lot of agencies and a lot of positions that are currently not underneath the personnel board, but I believe this budget does contemplate taking the vast majority of the rest of the agencies out, uh, at least for a one-year period. Some agencies that may see cuts include the Departments of Health, Mental Health, Medicaid, Corrections, Universities, and Community Colleges. Paul Boger, MPB News. Up next, calling for the repeal of the state's religious freedom law. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. There's a lot to be discovered about Mississippi. Like the little-known places you can visit on a Mississippi road trip. Or where to find a local brewery for a unique experience. Every Friday morning at 10, we take you on an hour-long journey through Mississippi. It's music, cuisine, culture, and history. And you never know where our next stop will be. I'm Mary Margaret Miller. And I'm Sharia Brent. Be sure to join us Friday mornings at 10 for Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A group of Mississippians is rallying against the state's religious freedom law, also known as HB 1523. The law, passed earlier this year by the legislature and signed into law by Governor Phil Bryant, allows business owners to deny services and accommodations based on their religious beliefs. Opponents say it promotes discrimination of LGBT Mississippians and can allow circuit clerks to deny same-sex couples marriage licenses. A federal judge stopped the law from going into effect. Governor Bryant is appealing that, and the law is still on the books. The Human Rights Campaign is holding a rally Sunday afternoon from 3 to 5, starting in front of the Capitol, and then a march to the front of the governor's mansion in Jackson. At the rally, Mississippi singer-songwriter Tina Clark will perform her song, My, My, Mississippi, that she wrote in response to HB 1523. Rob Hill of the Human Rights campaign says a full repeal of the law is needed. We've seen you know, an uptick around the country of, of hate crimes. Um, we, we certainly saw back in June a horrible massacre in Orlando with the Pulitzer Nights nightclub where 49 uh, LGBT people and allies were, uh, were, were murdered there um, simply because of who they are and who they love. And, you know, we've seen, you know, throughout this election, we've seen certainly an uptick of, of, of hate. And we saw the church burning up in Greenville, things like that. But 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 we want to remind people that, that we're still here, that we're still united against hate. And, and 1523 uh, represents hate. It is, like I said, it, it is a means of discriminating against other people and enshrining that into law and giving people that uh, legal means to discriminate. Um, so, you know, we want to remind people that that bill still is there. You know, until this bill is repealed, um, you know, we're still a threat. It's still on the book. It's still a threat, and, and it's still on the books. And, uh, you know, until the, the uh, Fifth Circuit makes up their mind, and, of course, the governor is aggressively appealing this. And so, you know, what happens there, you know, could he appeal it further? Uh, but, but, again, so it's, we're still in limbo as a, as a result uh, as it relates to this bill. And so we want to remind people that uh, the best way that we can get rid of this is to fully repeal this bill so that LGBTQ people will, will not uh, feel the effects of this. Do you believe that the uptick in violence, hate crimes, 
is a direct result of Donald Trump being elected? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm certainly not very happy about the election of Donald Trump. You know, we're a nonpartisan organization, but we certainly uh, we, we work for candidates that uh, support human rights, uh, certainly equality issues, as especially as it relates to LGBTQ people. Um, and we work certainly for Hillary Clinton in, in this uh, in this campaign. So we're disappointed by the results. But, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I don't think that Donald Trump directly caused uh, all of this hate. But I definitely think the, the vitriol that he used, uh, um, you know, appealing to uh, racism and uh, misogyny and the uh, and xenophobia that he that he displayed and expressed and, and really, um, you know, like I said, appealed to has not helped matters. And, you know, the rhetoric that we saw with 1523, the kind of damaging uh, words that we heard on the House floor, you know, those things reinforce people's own self-hatred that they have, that they may have uh, cultivated or may have been developed in church or in school or at home. But, you know, Governor Bryant and other uh, leaders insisted that this is not a bill about discrimination. I definitely uh, disagree with that. And, uh, you know, because the law says now that same-sex couples need to be treated like everybody else as it relates to, you know, their medical decisions, as it relates to uh, their being able to get a marriage license. And that's the law. And if it's your job to follow out the law, if you're a taxpayer-funded in a taxpayer-funded role, then that's your responsibility. And and so, you know, anything else, is it, it's pure discrimination, and you can't claim that your religious beliefs uh, don't allow you to follow the law. One part of this rally is a song, yeah. a song by Tina Clark. First tell us about her and then about the song. Yeah, Tina Clark, uh, I'm, I'm coming to know her. She's a native Mississippian. Uh, a lot of people may not know her, her her name. It may not be a household name, but you certainly know a lot of the things that, that she has produced and, and written. Many jingles you probably have heard uh, uh, that, you know, they're, are just commonplace that uh, she wrote. She also has been a great producer for people like uh, Aretha Franklin and her uh, latest album, Patti LaBelle, Dionne Warwick, people like that. So uh, she is uh, well-known uh, in, in the music world. And she wrote a piece uh, to express uh, her disappointment and her sorrow over HB 1523. It's called My My Mississippi, and I listened to it. It's available to listen to on YouTube. But the performance during the rally will involve many people, right? This is a chorus or choir singing this? We have uh, people coming from around the state to... To uh, to join in her song and and certainly in the the and, and join the continued song for equality and, and justice that we will continue to sing and march uh, around, uh, but yeah they're going to join in, in in this song to uh, uh, we'll have some soloists we'll have um, uh, a, a choir um, you know a mass choir where we've been rehearsing this song here in Jackson we're going to have a final rehearsal on Saturday at uh, five o'clock at Wells United Methodist Church and anybody's welcome to uh, to join in that song with us it has a very gospel feel to it oh it is it does have a gospel feel i mean she's in she's from waynesboro mississippi she knows about this you know she's been in the church my mind mississippi what you're thinking what you're drinking don't you know your ship is sinking fast Mississippi, you keep hating, we keep waiting, don't you want to hear your past? Well, we're mighty Mississippi. 
And I think that's what she is expressing, you know, her complicated love affair with Mississippi, which is certainly my complicated love affair with Mississippi, because there's so much wonderful about our state. And, you know, bills like HB 1523 perpetuate the narrative that Mississippi is is a place of, of hate and discrimination. Rob Hill is the Mississippi director of the Human Rights Campaign. Rob, thank you so much for coming in. Always good to be with you, Karen. Up next, what makes Mississippi's Golden Triangle a hotbed for new industry and job creation? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is an important message for all MPB viewers who use an antenna to receive MPB TV. On Monday, December 12th, our Dot One and Dot Two channels will change. MPB HD will move to Dot One. A brand new 24-7 children's channel, PBS Kids, will premiere soon on Dot Two. Subchannels Dot Three and Four will continue to carry Create TV and MPB Think Radio just as before. Cable and satellite viewers shouldn't be affected. If you have questions, please visit our website at mpbonline.org. I'm Jeremy Hobson. Las Vegas is changing with a new casino appealing to Asian gamblers and other changes to bring in more millennials. If we stick with the same model that, that was invented 50 years ago of a giant casino floor with a big chandelier and slot machines and table games, it's not going to work. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Golden Triangle of Mississippi is doing something right, and the rest of the nation is paying attention. The area in east-central Mississippi is formed by the three towns of Columbus, Starkville, and West Point. It also has an economic development track record rare in the state. Large job-creating industries such as a steel mill and a helicopter manufacturer have moved to the area in recent years. The CBS News program 60 Minutes profiled the Golden Triangle recently, bringing an even bigger spot light to the work being done there. We spoke with Joe Max Higgins, CEO of Golden Triangle Development Link, the economic development hub of the area. We wanted to know why all of this economic activity is happening in the Golden Triangle. Why us and not somewhere else in Mississippi is the question. Well, okay, so so if God could give it to you, a man could build it, you're in most better shape than any other place. You got a you got a waterway, you got access to six railroads. You've got massive TVA grid. The Golden Triangle arguably is the most redundant, reliable TVA service territory, in, 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 at least in the valley of Mississippi. So uh, uh, power, uh, uh, we've got abundance of water and sewer capacity uh, out at the park and in the region, not, not just out at the Golden Triangle Park, but in West Point as well. Uh, so we've got the things that our companies are looking for, and then you start factoring in things that, that people don't think about. Uh, Mississippi State is a top engineering school in, in, the, in, in the country, for that matter, in the world. Uh, and, and, and to be able to interface with them and the Center for Advanced Vehicular Systems and some of the things they have at State, Mississippi State works for all 82 counties. Mississippi State just happens to be in one of our counties, okay, the, 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 the mothership. Then you start factoring in uh, EMCC, which is our community college. Now, I want to tell you this. Everybody's in a community college district. Everybody's got a community college. And, and I'm going to tell you that EMCC uh, is, is the best in the state, not because they're mine, because it's true. They're the best in the state at doing workforce development and training. And, and, and we've got so much faith and confidence in them, we're breaking ground on about a $44 million industrial training facility that, that the three counties are putting $13.5 million in, the state of Mississippi's putting $18 million in, 
and the feds are putting the rest of it in. Uh, 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 you don't see facilities like that built. Now, facilities don't train people, but this will give us the ability. We're, right now, we've got five training bays at our training center. We're going to have 21 at this new one. So we're exponentially improving our training capacity to get the workforce trained, to get the jobs that are coming in with these existing guys and the deals we're working right now. What kind of impact has the Yokohama tire plant had? Yokohama still yet has, you know, it, first of all, you can go look at West Point's unemployment rate. I mean, they were at 20% or so when we announced them. They're, you know, they're in the eight nines right now, and, that, and that's just phase one of Yokohama. Uh, uh, I don't, I, 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 the, the, the short-term benefit with Yokohama was West Point saw a tremendous increase in their sales tax collection. They will be at full capacity for phase one hires, we think, by the end of the year. They're, they're real close. They're 30, 40, 50 jobs away from the 500 uh, that that uh, they committed to to be by the end of the year. They're going to meet that. Where we're going to see the benefit from Yokohama is this is just phase one that was built, million square feet, 500 jobs. They've still got three more phases of that to take that facility to 5 million square feet. So there's, you know, there's benefits seen, and everybody uh, realizes it. There's a lot of retail. There's been three, four, five new restaurants, a, a new massive Love's truck stop that's under construction at West Point. They're seeing... They're seeing the growth from that, but 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 the upside for West Point, the upside for West Point and Yokohama is still yet to come because there's there's fifteen hundred more potential jobs out there and about four more million square feet of building. So uh, we're seeing the benefit, but 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 there's way more plus up than that coming. Well, and you don't just sit around waiting for business to show up. What does it take to bring in business? Well, first first of all, you got to listen. You got to see what the companies want. You got to have product. Uh, you know, we bought in the Golden Triangle, we bought 8,000 acres in 13 and a half years. We own it. The Lowndes County Industrial Development Authority, the Clay County Economic District, and within the next 30 days, the Octavia County uh, Economic Development Authority are going to, uh, that's 400, about 400 acres we're buying uh, in January in, 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 in Octavia County. Th- those guys own that land. That's product. Then owning the land's not any good. You've got to have the, 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 the environmental work done, and you've got to have the utilities done. So in the case of like Startville that we're working with right now, we are buying 400 acres. Uh, we are uh, building a 60-megawatt substation. We're building a $13.5 million steel high-pressure gas line uh, uh, to serve that park, and then we're going to put water, sewer, and roads in that park with with no promise of somebody coming in. In other words, we're doing this up front to be ready. So the next town up the road or down the road that wants to play, uh, uh, that thinks they can put a site together, that hopes they can get the money to put water and sewer, that thinks they can get the environmental done in 120 or 180 days, the company's going to have a choice of picking one that's ready to go or one that they think they can do. So these community leaders in Lowndes Clay and Octavia Hall County have put their money where their mouth is. Uh, they're, they're, they're flying largely in the faith column. Uh, in the early days, they fly in the faith column, and then the rewards come. What do you envision five years from now, ten years from now? And here's what I want to talk about the 60-minute thing. The 60-minute thing is a good snapshot of where we were and where we are now. In five or ten years, if we have not progressed more than where we are now, we've done ourselves and everybody else a disservice. We're acquiring land. We're doing infrastructure. We're doing all this stuff. The training center, there's no, there's no foreseeable reason that this has got to stop, okay? But 
it, it's critical, and it, it's critical now more than ever that the that Mississippi Development Authority and others at the state level start uh, uh, pushing job creation, start pushing job recruitment. I can tell you this: looking forward today, if I look if I look in a, in, a, in, a, in a magnifying glass, our book of business today is not as is not as good as it's been historically. In other words, deals were working. Uh, we got a report card from Tennessee Valley Authority the other day that shows all of the regions of Tennessee Valley. Mississippi, Tennessee Valley, Mississippi came in last. Came in last. Now that may be most Mississippians may be accustomed to coming in last, but the fact of the matter is, in most years we're not last. But I'm starting to see a trend now that the prospect level is not what it was, the close rate is not what it was, and and the statistics are showing it out that North Alabama's white hot, West Tennessee's white hot, North Mississippi's not. Joe Max Higgins is CEO of the Golden Triangle Development Link. Thank you so much for being with us. Hey, thank you, and you have a good day. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Gestalt Gardner, Next Stop Mississippi, and Southern Remedy for Women. Remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. I hope you'll come back here Monday morning and join us at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Marketplace Tech for December.